You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Does that mean when I'm not performing that I'm less closer to God than when I am performing? You see? And so they just kind of bail up. I can't live up to these, measure up to these standards anyway. If it's not of grace, you, there's no way that you're going to be able to continue to having true fellowship and communion with God. And it's at that point many people kind of just, you know, slip out the back door of their Christianity. It's all of grace. Because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you are no longer under the law. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Mike, he explains to you that no one could ever keep the law. We, as humankind, failed time and time again. That's why God sent His only Son, to save the world who were slaves to sin. Pastor Mike encourages you that by Christ's sacrifice, you are saved by grace alone. No amount of performance and human striving can earn you right standing before God, only Jesus Christ. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as he begins his message, By Grace Alone. I remember what you said, you returned that I might live in my in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And this is where we left off last time. And let me tell you something. You know what? And I've mentioned this briefly last time. And this is why I believe that this uh, particular message is so significant. There are so many people throughout their entire Christian existence that really doesn't fully understand the grace of God. The grace of God wherein each and every one of us stand. And... uh, and thus, they, they have this kind of an impression that their relationship with God is all about their performance and, uh, and what they can do to acquire their salvation. But that's not what it's all about. That's not what Christianity is. And so they have this work-oriented kind of a relationship with God. And, uh, and thus, there's never any real joy that they experience. And so, anyway, that's why this, I believe that this message is so important and so significant. And so, once again, this morning's message, by grace alone. Let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture, and then we'll ask God's blessing on the remainder of our time together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, once again, by grace alone. Now listen, let me tell you something. This text of scripture this morning 
is one of the best-known passages in all of the Bible, probably one of the most memorized, most quoted texts anywhere uh, recorded for us in the Bible. And I believe that it's actually right up there with John 3.16, as well as the Shepherd's Psalm, right? The 23rd Psalm. Now, uh, as we break this morning's text down for you, this will sort of serve as a, an outline. It'll break it down. It'll serve sort of like an outline. Going back now to verses 8 and 9, follow along with me. The first part of this tells us how it is that God saves us. Notice there in verse 8. How does he save us? By grace. The second part, part of the outline, speaks of the channel through which this grace of God comes to us, which is also recorded for us in verse 8, and that is through faith. And then the last part of this outline, which is a contrast, tells how God does not save us, and it explains why. Notice in verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, so with that said, that's sort of like a brief, concise outline of verses 8 and 9. So let's then take them in that order. And with that said, that brings us to our first point. And if you're taking notes, write this down. And that is all of grace. Now, to illustrate this teaching, rather than giving you a theological definition of what grace is, which, as you know, is God's unmerited favor or the kindness and love of God towards sinful men and women, which it is, I rather want to share a story that a fellow uh, who I've referenced before, a tremendous teacher of God's word, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a very prolific writer, one of my favorite uh, commentators, who was also the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, many, many uh, years ago, Barnhouse told his congregation when expounding upon this verse. And this is the story that he told them. During the last century, in the worst slum district of London, there was a social worker whose name was Henry Morehouse. Now, one evening, as he was walking along the street, he saw a little girl come out of a basement store carrying a pitcher of milk. She was taking it home. But when she was a few yards from Morehouse, she suddenly slipped and fell. Her hands relaxed their grip on the pitcher, and it fell on the sidewalk and broke. The milk ran into the gutter, and the little girl began to cry as if her little heart would break. Morehouse quickly stepped up to see if she was hurt. He helped her to her feet, saying, Don't cry, little girl. But there was no stopping her tears. She kept repeating, my mommy is going to whip me. My mommy is going to whip me. And Morehouse said, no, little girl, your mother won't whip you. I'll see to that. Look, the pitcher isn't broken in many pieces. And as he stooped down beside her, he picked up the pieces and began to work as if he were putting the pitcher back together. The little girl stopped crying. She had hope. She came from a family in which pitchers had been mended before. Maybe this stranger could repair the damage, she thought. And she watched as Morehouse fitted several of the pieces together until working too roughly, he knocked it apart again. And once more she began to cry. 
And Morehouse had to repeat, don't cry, little girl. I promise you that your mother won't whip you. Once more, they began the task of restoration. This time, getting it all together except for the handle. Morehouse gave it to the little girl, and she tried to attach it. But naturally, all she did was knock it down again. This time, there was no stopping her tears. She would not even look at the broken pieces lying on the sidewalk. And finally, Morehouse picked the little girl up in his arms, carried her down the street to a shop that sold crockery, and bought her a new pitcher. Then, still carrying her, he went back to where the girl had bought the milk and the new pitcher filled. He asked her where she lived. When he was told, he carried her to the house, set her down on the step, and placed the full pitcher of milk in her hands. Then he opened the door for her. And as she stepped in, he asked one more question. Now, do you think your mother's going to whip you? He was rewarded for his trouble by a bright smile as she said to him, Oh, no, sir, because it's a lot better pitcher than we had before. And so that's the story that Barnhouse told his congregation as it relates to when addressing this particular text of Scripture. Okay, so what do we have there in this story? Well, here is an illustration. Think about this. Here is an illustration within this story of the grace of God in salvation. Think about it. The Bible teaches us in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings in chapter 1 in verse 26, that we are created in the image of God. Aren't we told exactly that? When God created the first man, the first woman, he then told us that they were created in his own image. But listen, when our first parents, who was Adam and Eve, sinned by disobeying God's law, that is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that image was broken and marred beyond repair. Now, let me also say, to balance this out, this does not mean that there is no value to all human nature. Okay, with that said, going back to the story now that Barnhouse told his congregation, think about it, even a broken pitcher is not without value. For example, archaeologists use pieces of broken pottery to date civilizations that were uncovered by their digs. And those broken pieces of pottery are displayed in our museums, and they're considered valuable treasures. In fact, in many cases, they are considered priceless. So broken pottery is not worthless, but it is worthless so far as carrying milk is concerned. Now, to make the point, in the same way, human nature in its broken state is useless for pleasing God or earning heaven. Let me give you a cross-reference. In the book of Romans in chapter 3, by the way, this is a, uh, a reference from the book of Psalms in chapter 14 and verse 3, but Paul quotes it nevertheless. In Romans chapter 3, in verses 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none. Notice it doesn't say some. There is none. That would include all of the human race. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Good. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. 
There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, that is a good representation of our B.C. days, that is, before Christ, before God got a hold of us and transformed us, regenerated us. We'll talk about that process in just a moment. Yet men, now here's the problem. In spite of what we've just read, that quotation from the book of Psalms in chapter 14 and verse 3 that Paul quotes there in the book of Romans, yet men keep trying to please God by their character. Like Morehouse in his first attempts to help the little girl. They keep trying to put the pieces of their broken righteousness back together. But here's the problem. They cannot achieve God's perfect standard of righteousness. They focus in on parts of their character that are good, that is from their perspective, and they try to work with those. Like, for example, they would say, hey, listen, you know, I'm basically a good and righteous person. I mean, after all, I provide for my family, don't I? I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my husband. I provide for my uh, children, right? Uh, I'm not a drunkard. I pay my taxes, and I even occasionally go to church once in a while on a Sunday morning, right? But think about that. The result is a patchwork of shards and fragments, broken earthenware, which falls short of God's standards. And what is God's standards? Perfection and holiness. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 5 and verse 48, there we are encouraged to be ye perfect, even as your Father, who in heaven is perfect. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 15, we are told, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Okay, so I mean, basically, you know, men, you know, there's some good things about men. I'm not putting those things down. And, and it's important that you provide for your family. That's a good thing. You take care of your kids. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that you're not a drunkard, that you're not a, an adulterer. These are all good things. It's good that you pay your taxes. If you don't pay your taxes, you're going to wind up in jail, right? So these are all good things. Don't misunderstand where I'm going with this. But nevertheless, you know, think about all of the frailties within our lives, the inconsistencies within our lives, the sin within our lives. I mean, who measures up to God's standards of perfection and complete holiness? Anybody? Well, if you would raise your hand, you would be wrong. Because what are we told there in that portion of Scripture in the book of Romans, there in chapter 3? But here's the good news. This is where the grace of a loving God comes in. Jesus came into this world of failure and sin and became the means by which an utterly hopeless situation was transformed. And Jesus didn't come to patch up fallen human nature or to reform us, you know, to put the pieces back together, as did Morehouse in this story uh, tried to do. But rather, he came to recreate us. In John's Gospel, in chapter 3 and verse 7, addressing Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, he said to this supposedly, as far as the Jews were concerned, here was someone who represented righteousness, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that's exactly why we need to be born again. So instead of trying to piece together the broken pieces of our fallen nature, Jesus gives us 
a new nature. One of my favorite portions of scripture that you often hear me uh, quote, it's recorded first in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 7. If any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And listen, think about this. In this story, now going back to this story, and to paraphrase the words of this little girl, it is a lot better nature than we had before. Amen? Can we say that? Sure, you better believe it. And thank God for what Jesus has done for us. It is nothing less than the nature of the Holy and eternal God within his people. Now just, you know, just stop there for a moment and think about that, what I just said. And how amazing is that? Let me say that again. It is nothing less than the nature of the holy and eternal God within his people. How amazing is that? That's what God has done. He's breathed new life into us. You know, uh, we're going to get to this, uh, in fact, in our next study. As we continue on here in Ephesians chapter 2, let me just reference it uh, for a moment. But in Ephesians chapter 2, let's go on uh, to verse 10, just for a moment. And I'll just give you a little preview of what we're going to be talking about in one of our future studies here. In fact, the next time we come together. He says there, for we are his workmanship. This word workmanship is a very interesting word. It comes from the Greek word poema. And... uh, The idea here is that God gets a hold of us and he's working his work in and through our lives. Uh, Like the uh, potter working with the clay, uh, taking a worthless substance as is clay and then working it on the wheel, uh, that wheel represents the circumstances of our lives, and turning it around into ultimately a priceless work of art. That's the business that God is in, and that's exactly what he's doing in each and every one of our lives. And and think of that, uh, think of God instilling within us his own very nature. And that's that's how he gets that job done. And so we are God's poema. We are God's workmanship. Notice there in verse 10, it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In 1 Corinthians, let me give you another cross-reference. In chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul tells us there, Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you you understand that that the, the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Trinity, actually resides in each and every one of us? If you're born again of the Holy Spirit? You know, these are things that we should, you know, daily uh, consider. Let me give you one uh, other cross-reference. This one is from t- the book of Titus in chapter 3 and verse 5. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. All of this is a part of that process. God pouring out his very nature into each and every one of us. What an amazing truth that is. It is nothing less than the nature of the holy and eternal God within his people. And folks, let me add, it's all of what? Grace. It's all of grace. Even in Barnhouse's story, the little girl didn't do anything to deserve Morehouse's favor in that story. She did not hire Morehouse's services. I mean, she's a kid. She had nothing to hire him with. 
She did not prevail upon his sympathies. We can imagine how cute this little girl must have been. You ever see a little girl crying? It just kind of breaks your heart. You know, when my grandkids, my little grand, uh, uh, you know, daughters or, you know, when they were little, well, now they're all well, good, but uh, Dakota's still a, a little girl. When, and uh, when those uh, tears well up in her eyes and she just gives you that look and, you know, it's just like, oh, man, it just breaks your heart. It's, it's really sort of cute, and, but at the same time sort of like pathetic. Not that she's pathetic, but it's, the whole situation is so pathetic, right? Uh, she didn't prevail upon his sympathies. That wasn't the reason why Morehouse uh, moved the way that he did. Morehouse did what he did simply because it pleased him to do so. He did not expect a reward from the girl's parents, ultimately, And even so, likewise, Jesus died for us and saved us solely because of his good pleasure. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, who was the pastor in the 1800s of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, commenting on the nature of God, said, and I quote, Because God is gracious, therefore sinful men are forgiven, converted, purified, and saved. It is not because of anything in them or that ever can be in them that they are saved, but rather because of the boundless love, goodness, pity, compassion, mercy, and grace of God. Folks, under the heading, all of grace. Do you get that? Do you got it? Listen, if you got it, praise the Lord, man. You, you, you have, let me tell you something, you have, you've gotten hold of a very valuable possession. Even as I said in one of my opening statements this morning, there are countless numbers of Christians who never understand or comprehend fully the grace of God. And therefore, it's always a work-oriented kind of a relationship that they have with God, performance-oriented. And, and that's why, you know, a lot of people like, fail to go on in their walk in their relationship with the Lord because there are just some times when they can't perform. Isn't that true? So does that mean when I'm not performing that I'm less closer to God than when I am performing, you see? And so they just kind of bail out. I can't live up to these, measure up to these standards anyway. If it's not of grace, there's no way that you're going to be able to continue to, you know, to to sense the uh, having true fellowship and communion with God. And it's at that point, many people kind of just, you know, slip out the back door of their Christianity. It's all of grace. Now, that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is, what is faith? Okay, so here's the question. How does salvation, as great and free as this become mine personally and yours personally, well, we're told, notice, let's go back to our text in verse 8. It happens through the operation of faith. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. If you don't have a church that you call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. 
You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to our continuing study of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled. I remember what you said.